everybody. Welcome to episode 32 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm back in Nevada with, uh, I'm, my, my name is Jonathan Lee, I should say that. And I'm with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. What's up, man? Hello, sir. How you doing? I missed you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. We're back. We rode this morning. We did. We had a sunrise ride. It was great. We did. Um, we were with the CEO of Trainer Road. Mm-hmm. And between the three of us, we had all on XC bikes, uh, probably about $35,000 worth of XC bike True. between the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> it was basically like if a website were to do a shootout, we have like the bikes they would want. True. Like dream bikes. And so. I didn't even have a dropper post. I was the only one that didn't have a dropper post. That's like a first. That's true. Ever. I had the my Yeti ASR. Mm-hmm. Nate has the brand new S-Works Epic. Which is a beautiful bike. Yeah. That the, purple blue fade color. Sweet. Oh, it's beautiful. It's cool. Yeah. And he's got a 200 mil dropper yep. uh, on there, which is yeah. pretty cool. And then you had the Cannondale Scalpel. Yeah, the new Scalpel team. Mm. It's, it's a sweet bike too. Sweet bike. All three of us were pretty well equipped. Yes. Yeah. This is where we talk about mountain bikes, stuff like that. And yeah. we nerd out over bike geekery or whatever else. Uh, we also, uh, this episode especially, uh, is going to be all about different things that have come out and uh, some questions yeah. that you guys have submitted. Because you Eurobike s- just happened. It did. Yeah. You can submit those questions at mtbpodcast.com, listen to the podcast, get some sweet stuff there that'll help keep this podcast going, the whole deal. Uh, but Stephen... One quick thing, uh, we just did an episode with Keegan Swenson where we talked about Park City point to point. Well, you. I, did. correct. Yeah. yeah. That was a killer race. Uh, we've had some people suggest some other races too. Uh, yeah. So look forward for that or look forward to that in this episode. But just one thing I wanted to, to cover really quickly, uh, that race was a DNF on my part. And I'm not going to let the season end that way. I think I'm going to head to the Kamikaze Games at Mammoth next week. Just get a little redemption. Uh, you all, you know, give it a shot. Yeah, we'll see how things go. But okay. uh, anywho, uh, should be exciting stuff. So, uh, but with with that, Stephen, let's get into the news. News. News team, assemble. Okay, lots of stuff from Eurobike. And this is going to be kind of combined in with uh, the business that we usually cover. But lots of stuff happened, obviously. Eurobike really is the biggest. I know that uh, Interbike is coming to Reno Tahoe, and I should be very excited and everything else. But to be honest, Eurobike is where everything happens. Yeah. Uh, Interbike it, is where... <laughs> Interbike is where the people in America anymore, get to see the things that came out at Eurobike. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, anyways, uh, some, uh, let's cover a bunch of different things that came out from, from Eurobike. Uh, yeah. Should we start with slam that stem? Yeah. I thought you were going to be really excited about this because yeah. you're super roadie weird about stack height on stems and yeah. you've always had to go to slam that stem.com. Yeah. Is that the, the website? Yep, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I believe so. Um, ba- basically, so, and, and I don't think it's uh, particularly a roadie thing. I think it should be something that mountain bikers pay attention to big time stack well, height. Well, no, that's true. You know? But it's like always been a, like a very pretentious roadie thing. Yes, it has. Not saying it's not important in mountain biking, but a right. lot of mountain bikers like, eh, what? I yeah. feel like a lot of mountain bikers have Could, way too tall of a stack well, height. Well, Absolutely. Basically, yeah. like, and what we're talking about with stack height is effectively where your handlebars are. I, I guess if you really want to talk about the specific part of stack, we're talking about the rise from your the center of your bottom bracket to the top of the head tube. Yes. But it really, effectively, the problem is it puts your 
your anchor point where your hands go onto the bicycle a lot higher than it should be. Yes. Now, a lot of people do that because they want, they don't want to hurt their back. Um, or they want to just be more comfortable while they're riding. Yep. So another way to, to influence your stack is to have a rise stem, whether it's negative uh, or um, positive. Or a farther reach stem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can change all of that to be able to, to change that. But I personally like to have a low stack, but I don't like to run a huge like inverted stem yeah. on there. Uh, so I just run uh, an MV six degree stem on my ASR that has an extremely short head tube. I think it's not even like nine. It's like shorter. It's I think it's 90 millimeters. That's a really short, um, stem. really short head, head tube. tube. Yeah. And then I just run a six degree stem inverted, but mm-hmm. it doesn't a six degree stem inverted. Isn't much. Like no, it's it, not. It, it still even, sticks up in the air. It doesn't it's Yeah. Much. It isn't even like parallel to the ground. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, so that's, uh, I think a lot of people run too much stack height. So they'll put spacers underneath their stem or anything else like that. And granted, to get a bike to fit you properly, you may have to do that. I'm not saying it's bad in every case, yeah. but I'm saying that a lot of people just don't think about that. And they yeah. may not think of the repercussions of the fact that they're actually placing their weight higher up and further off that front wheel. And if you can get more weight onto that front wheel, you're going to have more traction and control Yep. Uh, within reason. Obviously you don't want to, you know, turn that thing into a unicycle and flip over the front. Yeah. So Cane Creek just released the new slam stem headset. Mm-hmm. So really what this does is this eliminates the need to go aftermarket and gives you two millimeters of stack height above your, uh, the bearing, the top and, bearing. That's yeah. it. Two and millimeters. The, what's really cool to me. Mm-hmm. You obviously like the stack height that it's, you know, that they're slamming it Heck right yeah. from the factory. What I like is that hellbender bearing. Yeah. So it's a new top bearing. Cause a problem that I experienced, so I get, um, a slam that stem, uh, it, it, you can't call it a top cap cause that's something else. It's, it's basically really a, a headset cover. Yeah. yeah. Like a dust cap. And basically what that does is that sits on top of the bearing, but the bearing isn't sealed. It's still, it's not as if it's like open bearing ball bearings, but it's not a sealed bearing. No. So it's easy to get elements in there and everything else. Now I take mine off and regularly clean it. That's not a hard thing to do though. Yeah. It's really easy. Uh, But I clean mine out and I keep my bike very clean. So it's not a problem. If you don't do that, you could have some issues. Yeah. Uh, so that's a problem that has happened is the fact that a lot of people that run those, those aftermarket ones, they don't have a sealed bearing up there or the aftermarket one might not seal very well with the headset they have. And this kind of addresses that. Yeah. So this bearing itself now has a fully sealed structure Mm -hmm. on its own. It's smart. And the Um, cool thing is this bearing is retrofitable into all other zero stack and inset, um, stack compatible Yep. 40 series and 110 series. It works with either of those, uh, with those setups from Cane Creek. Yeah. And then the AER stuff and the angle set. Yep. So it works with all of them, which is really cool. Yeah. Really cool. So good on you, Cane Creek for recognizing something that a lot of people want. Uh, especially when we're talking about more and more bikes being 29ers and getting longer in travel Yep. Uh, with that, you are inherently stacking your front end higher off the ground. Yeah. So you see people going with less spacers and everything else. And this is just another way to get that front end lower. So I dig it. Good job. Cane Creek, a small little detail that can make a huge difference in your bike. Absolutely. Interesting stuff. Um, envy everybody's favorite wheel company, either favorite because you like them or favorite because you love to hate them. One of the two, because they're so expensive. Yeah. They seem to be polarizing. And a lot of people always bring up the fact that Envy's wheels are really harsh or they've even like, I've heard people talk about cracking or breaking and stuff. And to be honest, I see way more failures on other brands. I feel like people just love to blow it up because Envy makes themselves a target by claiming that they're the best. And to be frank, 
in my opinion, they are the best. Yeah. Nobody's better at carbon wheel construction, even handlebar and stem, the best stuff I've used. I've used Easton. I've used Truvative. I've used um, specialized stuff. I've used Giants brand stuff. Um, geez, I've ridden race face. I've ridden a bunch of different ones, not just ridden, but owned those, those, those brands. Nothing compares to what MV is able to do with carbon. They get the ergonomics down very well, very well. They get the tuning of the carbon fiber down extremely well. They've managed to dampen vibration, but not make it abusive, which is a big thing that's tough to do. Now their wheels though, are a little bit different. Their wheels are extremely stiff. When you go 32 spoke. Yes. Or even the 28. I found a lot more compliance in 28s over 32s, but yes, they're still very stiff. Stiff. And especially if you're talking about something like uh, XC wheels. A lot of people with XC wheels, they're really light. They tend to be flexy. Mm -hmm. Uh, People don't understand. They might misunderstand that as being comfortable, but uh, they're pretty flexy. And the problem with that, that I found with light wheels that are flexy, and sure, you may not feel like you're getting abused with them, but it makes it tough to be as precise. And I know that sounds weird, but- Within, when I put my NVs on and I go back to like my practice wheels, which are just some basic DT Swiss ones, I put the NVs on and I feel like I can put my wheels wherever they need to be. And they just go there. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's just more precise. So anyways, all of that out of the way, I, I personally think Envy is the best yeah. um, when it comes to it. And you pay for it. You definitely pay for that service. The frustrating part about this has been that Envy's mountain wheels haven't really, especially on the XC side of things, have not seen a lot of updates. I'm still still riding 21 mil internal width. Yeah, your M50s, yeah. It sucks um, because then, you know, I have 2.3s on my tire or on those wheels right now. Yeah. And they do have a bit of doming. I do like the performance a little bit better on the 2.2s. This yeah. is the Ardent Race tires with exo protection. Yeah. I do like the performance a little better, uh, even though it is domed. Uh, but I would prefer to have a wider internal width with yeah. those. It would be much better. You know my cross bike has 21 mil internal <laughs> wheels. It's crazy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was. they were really long in the tooth Yeah. to be updated. So but that's also the thing that you got to remember is they're not rushing things to market for marketing reasons. Mm, that's a good point. They're making sure that they design and, you that's know, develop point. their product properly. That's, I mean, that's honestly a lot of the philosophy we follow here at Trainer Road too. you know, yeah. do it right instead of just uh, get it out. So, yeah. So anyways, so they updated their wheels. So basically the M50s are now called the M5s, but they've got like an addition to that name. They call them the M525s because now the M50s have a 25 mil internal width. Yeah. So that's good to see. 25 is great. Four mils wider, which is awesome. That's yes. perfect for an XC bike nowadays. Heck yeah. Some other interesting stuff that they have going on with these things. So uh, basically the wheels are still 1350, uh, 1,350 grams. That's really good. They have a different profile. They're not the arc that was before. Now they actually have more of like a pointed profile. More of a V cut. More of a V cut, but it's not severe by any means. Um, It's smoothed out. But they they claim that they've built in a lot of compliance, but they've retained a lot of the strength and they've still, it's still plenty light. So it sounds like they've just refined them a lot. My biggest disappointment, though, is the fact, and maybe this will change, uh, but first of all, I should clarify, I'm extremely excited at the possibility of getting new NVs that would actually have in better internal width. That would be awesome. I feel like it would really help out on my ride. Um, so I like that. But at the same time, I have to curb my enthusiasm because 
a big problem that I have found with my end with my envies is getting my rim stripped to seal. Mm-hmm. It's very frustrating and it doesn't sound like they address that problem at all with this wheel set. And a lot of the problem is the fact that they have a really deep channel in the center. They have, and also the spokes uh, for those that don't know with envies, you don't have external nipples on that. No, it's all interior. They're all hidden. So when you have to true your wheel, which is honestly very a, a rare, very rare occurrence, but when you do, you have to use a tool on the inside. So you have to take your rim strip off everything else. Yep. But that rim strip is really deep. Yeah. And I've found that when changing tires and going back and forth, it's very easy to, to make that rim strip leak. And that's even using the good Envy tape, which is Gorilla Tape or Gorilla Tape itself. I've used DT Swiss tape. I've used Revol tape. I've used Gorilla tape. I've used Stan's tape. I've used Orange Seal tape. I've used uh, even Gaffer's tape, like just trying anything. And it always ends up developing a leak. Yeah. And nothing is more frustrating when you're trying to seal a tire and get it to seal and you get it to seal, everything is around and you still hear it leaking out of the valve stem. And you're like, great. Now my, my tape is messed up. I get to pull it off and try it again and wait and dry it out. It's a total pain. So they fixed this problem, which they aren't even really marketing it heavily, but they fixed this problem with their other wheels, which now the M60s before the 6040s, they're now called the M the 630 because they have a 30 mil internal width one, the 635 or the 640, all internal widths that they have. They also, for the sevens, they have the 730, 735, 735E. That's for the enduro all mountain stuff. And then the 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 M90s, what used to be the M90s, now it's the 930 because that's 30 mil internal width. Yeah. So all of those ones come with this awesome deal, the rim strip. Do you want to explain a little bit about what that is? Well, so it's just a, it's basically a flexible plastic rim strip that one makes for the the bead socket assembly to lock the tire up into the rim which is cool and they don't really even talk about that very much no and it's yeah. a it's a very solid piece um Mavic has been doing this for years on their their tubeless wheels their UST wheels that have spoke holes in them they've been doing something very similar to this but what this does is it goes a step further and creates an entire rim protection assembly over the top, the hookless bead of the rim. Mm-hmm. It actually locks in over that. So you create basically almost like think of your car. Some tires have curb protection, mm-hmm. you know, built into the actual tire itself. This is built into the rim now. Yeah. It's actually a plasticky rubber. Yep strip that covers everything and works as your UST rim strip. Now, the other thing that it does is it seals your rim. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about tape. So you tape. don't have to worry about tape ever again. Ah, uh, that is so good. But Envy, why did you not do it on the XC wheels? Please tell probably me Probably way too narrow. To. It's probably way too narrow to do that. I hope not. I hopefully they can change that though. I mean, yeah. I, hopefully it's possible. Envy, please do that for your XC wheels. And if you do that, I will drop a lot of money on those wheels. If you don't do that, I simply can't justify it because I'm going to have a headache and every time I'll kick myself for spending that much money on those wheels yeah. when they, they they don't seal. So please fix that. But the way they're marketing this is for that it helps pinch flats. That's where they're really pushing this. Yeah. And I get it that it went, and, and honestly, I saw it too. They had a video of a guy hitting a rock with other wheels and he was getting pinch flats. And then he hit the rock much faster and repetitive with these ones and he couldn't get a pinch flat. Uh, they also have like a little rig where they're dropping weight on it and they were not getting pinch flats. They were breaking the rim before they were getting pinch flats. Yeah. And they had they, keep in mind, they're dropping like 80 pounds from like many feet up yeah. to get it to break the rim. They're going beyond what you're going to actually see in service duty of, right. in the life of the you. Yeah, rim. exactly. My only con- contention with that. And like I said, I, I love what they're dealing with this, but 
My only contention with that is, is that really that big of a problem? Keep in mind, we're not talking about pinch flats with tubes. We're talking about running a tubeless setup. Yeah. I really don't know many people. And I'm talking, I know that I, I, I can think of no, uh, probably five people off the top of my head that yes, do uh, experience this sort of thing. But when you're talking about the general populace and even envy customers, do really, do that many people actually pinch flat their tires? I think that this is more of a tertiary benefit to doing an actual rim strip assembly. Yeah. Why stop there when we can just make it go a little bit further and add a little bit more protection in? Because I mean, honestly, most of the flats are sidewall tears. Yeah. Or it's a puncture from like a sharp rock in the top of the tire. Yeah. But it's not a pinch between that. Right. I mean, that's usually what I see. It's very rare that I see something other than that. I wouldn't say very rare, but yes, I would say it's not as common. Right. But still, this is going to create a benefit for some people. And from a marketing standpoint, it creates a huge benefit for Envy. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing, right? So <clears throat> I'm basically trying to weed through the marketing. Mm -hmm. I think that the real benefit here is the fact that you have something that's going to hold your bead on better. Yeah. And it's also going to seal the rim bed with a total problem-free experience. Yes. That I feel like is the benefit that it will benefit way more people. However, it's definitely not like you won't have sealant leaking through your rim. That doesn't sound good in marketing. Mm -hmm. And then saying like your tire will stay on the bead better. That isn't very impressive. But then when you say like you will experience, you will never experience a pinch flat. That's something that just sounds better. Yeah. So I get it. And I'm a marketer, so I get this, but, uh, I think it's awesome that they're finally updated, that they've done their homework on it. That they're awesome wheels. I really like this rim strip idea. I just really wish that it was on the XC stuff. You could just get a set of 6030s. Yeah, but that would be heavy and not XC of me. Eh, not that heavy, but okay. <laughs> so uh, that, that covers the Envy stuff. Uh, the other out, and we're not going to cover everything. There was way too much stuff that came out, but we're just covering the highlights. Or in this case, perhaps... Uh, Personally, I would say this one's a bit of a low light, but I'm curious as to what you think, Steven. Jiro came out with knit mountain bike shoes. So like uh, like uh, the Nike fly knits that you see where it looks like, uh, and I don't, I don't mean to imply this, like imply that this is bad, but it looks like the shoes are crocheted or knit or knitted together. Um, that's like the, what the, you see on Nikes, uh, some of the free runs and the trainers that they have. So what is the benefit for this? Why are they doing this? So, okay. Uh, claimed benefits. Okay. Let's cover that. Okay. Uh, claim benefits is the fact that when you, this allows you much like carbon fiber allows you to lay up a structure in a specific way to have it, uh, behave in a certain way. You can do that also with fabric since you're weaving it together. Okay. So they can make the flex very directional or they can make it compliant in certain areas, but very rigid or, or very supportive in others. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's, that's one side of it. Um, that's like an actual, definitely you could demonstrate that benefit over something that would just be a random material that has equal stretch characteristics throughout it. Okay. Uh, the other benefit that you have, I guess, with this specific one, which, uh, I, I don't want to wear these for this reason, but they have, and I feel like this is, this is smart, but it just looks bad enough that I might not want to do it. They have an ankle like a, an ankle sock basically like continues up. Like you see, like in a lot of basketball shoes uh, that are knit like this, the knit, the knit fabric continues up your ankle and then has like an elastic band to seal out stuff from getting in. I totally makes sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do get, uh, when we were going around at CES Northstar, I was getting stuff all over in my shoes. Well, that's why, like with Mavic shoes, they, the Crossmax shoes have a, a neoprene cuff. 
yeah that comes up off the shoe so and another benefit to this is that since it is it's like a nylon material that it's used but it's breathable which is very good that's i think they're benefit. dumb I Can don't I say they're dumb. They're, they don't look good. No, they're terrible. Uh, the road shoe looks awesome. I think. Okay. I think that the commuter shoe looks good okay. and the commuter shoe is SPD compatible and has tread. Just okay. throwing that out there. Yeah. But the one thing they say is that the commuter shoe, for example, is not made with the same tension or same support that the road shoe is. Okay. And the road shoe isn't made with the same support that the mountain bike shoe is. In fact, the mountain bike shoe, they have like a laminated um, material on top of it to provide even more support. Which it eliminates the purpose of the, the structure. It's like making something out of carbon fiber and then wrapping it in an exoskeleton made of stainless steel. Like... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it seems to kind of defeat. But maybe the it was designed with that in mind. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's interesting stuff. I think it's cool to see. And no, you know, and it's something totally different. That said, I I would not wear those. I think they're silly. It looks ugly yeah. in my mind because, like, I, I mean, I, I like wearing like mid length socks, like mid calf socks, when I ride mountain bikes. Okay. And this would be really weird looking. It'd be like I'm doubling up on socks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Just get matching socks. I don't know if I can get get into it. Um, also, not wild about the fact that it's just uh, like a lime green and then like a black. But anyways, I think they do look good in the non-mountain bike versions. And the main part, my gripe with it is just the fact that it has an ankle sock on there. If they didn't have that, I think it would be cool okay. looking. Um, but anyways, I'm curious to try them out, though, at the same time. I may end up trying out the commuter option. I don't know. We'll see what it performs like, but, uh, I may end up giving that a shot. So, okay. They have one that's gray with like perfect Yeti turquoise on there. Oh, there you go. Mm, matches. And we, as we know, matching colors is the most important thing in life. Of so, course. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's uh, from Jiro. Uh, also their visor, it looks like they have magnetic, um, visors now, which is cool. Yeah. So from the motocross world, they have that too. Uh, next thing, Steven, really light wheels <laughs> yeah really light impressively light the srd mm, from stands yeah yeah um so they're 29er wheels they're basically like they're it's like they're limited run like really nice wheels uh they're they're called the podium srd uh i think they only come in 29 maybe they come in 27.52 but i think maybe only 29 i think they're just 29 like the valors were when they first came out yeah i think it might just yeah. be 29 how much do they weigh 1287 uh, holy cow that's like an extremely light road wheel set. That's like a really nice downhill tire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is a Convict 2.5 yeah. tough high grip. That's what that is right there. The um, the rim weighs just 300 grams each. Which is nothing. They're carbon. Yeah. Um, the thing that worries me though about these is the fact that strength, right? I mean, whenever you make a light wheel. They're dainty. Uh, they could be. Yeah. Uh, they, they do have a 23 millimeter internal width, I believe on these ones, Yes, which is good to see. Uh, the, 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 and the thing is stands has stepped up their wheel production so much that they might actually, I mean, they, they might have done their homework on this thing and it might be a totally durable wheel. Yeah. Stands makes like for bargain for your buck. They used to make wheels and they had like a bad reputation, but ever since the Mark threes, they have stepped that up massively. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting to see these. I really want to try these out. I just don't know if I, I don't know if I will, maybe if I, I can't try them out. Yeah, you can't. Why is that? Cause they do have a rider weight limit of 190 yeah. pounds. Yes. Pounds. Yes. So that's some kilos. I don't know how many kilos <laughs> it is, but yeah. 
So the the thing, I feel like if Envy doesn't do that rim strip on the M50s, I feel like I'd be really tempted to put that money toward these instead. It's less money too. It's also less weight. It's also less weight. By 100 grams. Yeah. But uh, who knows what they ride like. I'm really interested to see. This is probably like one of the most interesting products to XC nerds from this for sure. Yeah. From this show because it has something that's actually like pushing limits and I guess we'll get to see how it works. So yeah, uh, interesting stuff, man. Um, uh, next bit of news, KS, Kind Shock as they're known. But really, they don't make many shocks these days. I guess technically a dropper post is a shock. Kind but of, yeah. Yeah, an interesting shock. They revamped their dropper posts. Uh, Steven, what, what have been the gripes or complaints or the issues that you've dealt with at a bike shop with KS posts in the past? Um, the way that they design their their posts, the way that the there's a, a little braided nylon strip that connects two pieces that actually actuate everything inside, mm. that always breaks. Mm. 27.2s are not field serviceable. You can't put air in them. You have to send them back to KS if they, well, I shouldn't say if they lose air, but when they lose air <laughs> yeah. and stop working. Yeah. Um, they've always had really bad customer service too. Yeah. I hate to admit that, mm. and I don't usually like throwing people under the bus, but their customer service sucked I'm gonna, for years. I'm going to redeem them with that really quick because okay. I've had a great customer service okay. experience with them in the past two weeks. Okay, go. So I had a 27.2 Lev Integra okay. from my cyclocross bike. From your cyclocross bike. bike, yeah. And uh, that seat post, I got it, and from day one, it didn't work. Okay. Right? And what I mean by it didn't work right is the return speed was, was random, and mm -hmm. at times it wouldn't even return, and I'd have to pull on it to get it to come back. Okay. Uh, so it came faulty and the problem is you can't just refill it with air. It's a sealed unit. Like yes. you mentioned, I sent them an email and they said, yeah, man, absolutely. Here you go. Uh, they, they, I ended up and I didn't even say, you know, that I have a mountain bike podcast or something. I didn't drop anything like that. Right. I just yeah. said, I'm, I'm random guy as much as they know. And they said, yeah, sure. Uh, here's the spot to send it and we will have it back to you in two days. And they did. Interesting. Quick. Well, then that's good because that's changing. You know, they've, they did mention that they moved facilities. Okay. Uh, maybe they've moved facilities and things have gotten more efficient. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, who knows? But, yeah. But that was my gripe originally with them. Yep. And now, so they've done a few things to change that. Uh, first of all, like I said, I've had a really good experience with their customer service recently. So good on you, KS. And I've never liked their, their levers. Their levers were always kind of just subpar. Yeah. Um, which they've addressed too. Yes. So first of all, on the 27.2s, which uh, for any of you that, I mean, the new Epic is 30.9, but prior to that, if you had an Epic hardtail or a stump jumper hardtail or any bike with a 27.2 seat post, you were really limited on dropper post options. You had the specialized command post that dropped like as much as like a stack of quarters, that like a four stack of quarters, or you could get a KS11 Tegra. Yeah. I'm sure there are other options that I can't think of right now, but there were very few. There were few. And, uh, anyways, you can now get that one and it has an adjustable, uh, you, the air pressure is adjustable and you can do it yourself, which is awesome. Just like the reverb, you just take off the top of uh, the seat collar mounting area, and then you can pump it up right there. Yeah. That's very good to see. Uh, they also changed around the, the, I guess the cartridge inside. So you don't have to run as high of pressure. Okay. Uh, so that well, it's less wear and tear on the seals and the rest of the internals. Okay. So that's how that yeah. would work. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, on top of that, the levers, uh, they ended up adjusting the levers on there and it looks a whole lot like, you know, the South paw or anything else like that. Now looks a lot better. 
Yeah, the only thing I don't like is how the Southpaw clamps to your handlebars. Mm. You end up breaking things, and I've seen a few of these, and this is a new lever, but a new lever as of, like, almost a year ago now. Okay. So um, I'm just going to throw it out there. Just always run a wolf, a wolf tooth remote. Okay. Always okay. run their stuff. Um, and, and this one isn't a Southpaw, but it's it's somewhat similar to it. Yeah. But it has that same weird clamp that yeah. goes on the handlebars that just never gets good clamping until it breaks. Yeah, and that's not good. And that's not good. Um, but it looks much better than the previous one. Yeah. So it's cool to see them do that. Also, their carbon posts, I think that they've got like more carbon. Uh, I was told something that then looks different in this report. But basically, I was told that their carbon post was going to come in uh, all the way up to 150 on the drop. Okay. But I'm now seeing that it's just like 125 in different spots. Who knows? Um, so or 120, forgive me. So who knows what they're actually coming out with or what's right there. Yeah. But, uh, it's interesting stuff. Also carbon, that, that carbon dropper post, if you're going for marginal gains, sure. It's going to be the lightest one, but it's really not worth springing for probably no pun intended there, but it's probably not worth going for it all the way unless you're really, really trying to cut grams. Yeah. So uh, just a couple more things that really stood out to hey. us. Hey, speak of the devil, uh, wolf tooth remotes. They're, they're fixing the same problem that, that rock shocks hasn't really fixed, I guess. Yeah. Getting rid of the hydraulicos. <laughs> yeah. They basically run a conversion that draw that changes it to cable on the bottom of your stealth reverb dropper. Yeah. And then it goes cable all the way forward. So it's nice and simple. And this is, uh, I can't think of the other company that did this, but this isn't a new idea, No, but it's another example of somebody doing it. Yeah. And it's interesting because on rock shocks, so rock shocks, I now know that they, they told me a dirty lie about, uh, six months ago. Okay. Cause I asked them, I said, uh, do you have a super deluxe shock? Um, not the, the ones with the reservoir, but you know, I should say just a deluxe shock because super deluxe means it has an it external has reservoir, yeah. but just deluxe shock. Do you have those coming out? And they said, no, we aren't going to be having those coming out. We'll have something else coming out. Well, I've just seen at the world cup now on a lot of XC bikes, they have deluxe shocks and they have the deluxe with the remote lockout, just like I have. However, that remote lockout is not hydraulic anymore. Okay. And on their forks, they are now getting it set up with the top. It isn't hydraulic, the lockouts. Okay. So what that, what that is telling me is that they've recognized the fact that they had a huge problem with hydraulics. Yeah. And especially when you talk about suspension lockouts, because when it defaulted or you had a problem with it, it defaulted to locked out instead of defaulted to wide open. Yeah. This was a terrible flaw. I don't know why they didn't think of that Yeah, the other way around. And maybe there's some mechanical limitation that I don't understand. Okay. But uh, it's good to see them getting rid of hydraulic, I guess, yeah. and going to cable. I wish they would do it on the reverb. That's the only thing. They should just do ETAP lockout on everything. If you were to provide, yeah, that's, I agree. If you were to provide a non-biased analysis of benefits of hydraulic lockouts, so whether it's, or levers was drop or post or anything else. Yeah. How, what is an advantage over a cable? Uh, Advantage as the producer or an advantage uh, uh, as utility for the user. Um, it's smoother. That's it. Smoother in which sense? Like the actuation of the, of the button is typically smoother. That is the only benefit. Yeah. Everything else is vastly, vastly more complicated. Cause I guess that you do have, you, you, you don't have the problem of getting like a corrosion on a cable, but 
That, yeah, you never have to change a cable, but you always have to you know, fix leaks. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there are other problems. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'd be... I'd be keen to see them recognize this and change it. Yeah. So, but good on you, Wolftooth, for going after it. It's good stuff. And uh, the last thing on the SRAM note, we're still on the SRAM train here. They came out with X-Sync oval chain rings. For the bird. For the bird. Yes, the bird. The dirty bird being the I don't know if you've ever, have you heard? (laughs) The the bird is the word. Oh, it is. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, yeah. Okay. You already know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, We'll move on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, X-Sync oval chain rings. They're coming out with oval. Yeah. Uh, Can we get into oval chain rings really quick here, Steven? Sure. You, you, you didn't, you don't like oval chain rings. It's not that I don't like them. I just don't see a point to them. Okay. So, um, so there are a lot of claims with oval chain rings, which what do you think is the one benefit I have always seen? And I agree with you on this standpoint is that I think it smooths out torque delivery. Depending on where the oval is placed in relation to the cranks. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Which could change from rider to rider slightly. Yes, it would change slightly, probably not enough to affect it. Yeah. But you'll notice like Rotor, for example, is a company where you can actually adjust the position of. And we talked about that in our sea otter episode. Yes. So, so you can adjust that around. Um, but the thing is that most people, a lot of companies market oval rings as being beneficial for it's, you know, your body is more that it helps your body put out power more efficiently. And And that's that's not the case. That's true. Your Your body body, puts out power as it puts out power. And it's going to re and it's going to adapt to what it does. Absolutely. Um, your body has work capacity. Mm -hmm. And that work capacity will be, you know, you're going to reach that within reasons, uh, within reason, it will be averaged out there when we're talking about over the pedal stroke. So the one thing that if an oval is placed right, it should act as a larger chain ring when you have the most available torque. Yes. It should act as a smaller chain ring when you have the least available torque. Yes. The reason for this is because it should take advantage of the fact when you have more strength and then it should also, that when you have least, you know, less strength, it should make sure that it's not trying to overload you at that point. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, what this would do is this would smooth out the power delivery to the rear wheel and, and increase traction and also decrease pedal bob, if that's the case. Yep. So those are the benefits I see. I don't see any benefits for it. Like on road, you know, like Chris Froome and everybody else, they've ran them and they've gone back and forth and they say that, you know, it's more physiologically effective or efficient, you know, whatever. I, I don't buy it, but anyways, I do like it for mountain biking. Kudos SRAM for, for putting it out. But a lot of people are upset because this chain ring costs 119 bucks. Their chain rings have always been expensive. Yeah. Their chain rings have always been a hundred, hundred and. 10 bucks. And the thing that I will be honest about is SRAM's chain rings last longer than most of the aftermarket ones. The only one that I found this last, that lasts longer is an absolute black. Okay. That thing is incredible. Okay. It has a lot of lifetime to it. The placement of the oval is very similar on an absolute black to the SRAM. I'm not sure if it's like what, to what degree it's different, but it's very similar. I know that much. But, uh, yeah. And they they also, they have the new, like the new tooth pot, the new tooth profile, the X sync two. Yeah. And that's supposed to be better on retention and mud shedding. I haven't used, I haven't, you know, compared its performance in that respect. So I don't know. I don't have a chain guide on my Jekyll at all. And I haven't needed one yet. Okay. There you go. And I have an X sync two. And that bike likes to party. 
a lot. And well, you, like we decided this yeah. morning, I think we said it doesn't like to party. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like it's not. It's not like it's not the dude that runs into the door and is super stoked and raging and and smashing a beer can on his head and trying to get everybody into it yeah it's like he's the guy at the nightclub that's up in the vip lounge yeah with bottles everywhere and hot college girls everywhere <laughs> and he's just hanging out and he actually doesn't do much he doesn't do anything but he's just there and he's, he's just there and you know what to some people that's partying <laughs> and indeed yeah because the jekyll will just take whatever you throw at it exactly it's like a nihilist we yeah. talked about yeah it basically cares not whatever it goes over a it will just go nihilist. over it yeah, yeah exactly yep so uh anyways good on you sram for doing the ovals i dig that and it's cool that they're making boost and non-boost just throwing that out there yep so basically different uh offsets yeah. that you have there you don't have to have, bother with spacers or anything like that yeah. Um, there were a lot of other things that came out of Eurobike, uh, man, but that's basically what we found to be the most interesting or the most, uh, effective in terms of giving you guys benefit. Yeah. So also newsflash e-bikes. I don't, I, I guess we should just cover that people no. like, uh, that's all they talk about with these shows these days, e-bikes. Cool. So Good we'll get into them. the e-bike benefit or e-bike debate, uh, with Kurt Gensheimer at some point on yes. the show. Uh, but Steven, let's uh, go into the questions. We have a ton of them. We do have some questions. Question. It's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. All right. We're going to rip through these ones pretty quick. Uh, we both have a dinner date to get to. Uh, this one's from Chris. He says, Hey guys, <laughs> Steven, you're looking at me a little weird. No, I was just going to make a funny comment. Okay. No, it's okay. It's fine. It's I ruined it. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Chris, he says, Hey guys, love the podcast. I've just posted a five-star review on iTunes for this. Chris, you are the man. Thank you very much. You win today. Yes. You can submit those reviews, uh, just on iTunes. You can do that. And please let us know if it's not a five-star review, what we can do to change it. Always. We'll do our best to change. Yes. Or improve. I should say. Yeah. Uh, or I'm, if we need to get some like credit yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. He says, I'm currently binge listening to all the old episodes and I'm nearly up to date. I really love the level of detail you go into. I don't get many riding opportunities with work and family and life, etc. So listening and talking about bikes is sometimes all I get. I like to do as much of my own maintenance as possible. Forks, shock, drivetrain, etc. Wheels is about the only thing I've never had a go at. I find doing my own maintenance gives me a better understanding of how the bike works and gives and saves me a lot of cash because we all know mountain biking is a never ending money pit. True that. Well, basically anything these days. Yeah. Any hobby. Yep. Uh, question one, I'd love to hear a quick discussion on the different types of grease and where each one should be used. I've currently got about three different types in the workshop, but I don't really know which ones to use where I've got a thickish blue marine grease, a thinner Teflon based red grease and slick oleum. Obviously that's for the fork and shock. Grease like honey. Yeah. Yep. What grease should I be using on bolts for the headset, for the bottom bracket, etc.? Are there any bolts that I shouldn't be using grease on? Let's cover that last one. Are there any bolts that he shouldn't be using grease on? Well, a lot of bolts, you shouldn't use bolt. You shouldn't use grease on the threads of most bolts. Mm -hmm. um, things like your, your skewers, your through axles, mm -hmm. use a little bit of grease on those. Yep. But any bolt that's fixing and, you know, fixing a part and meant to stay tight, you do not use grease on ever. If anything, Loctite. You have to use Loctite if that's the case, if yeah. you need anything. If you have bolts going into a pivot point on a swing arm. Yeah, if it's a collet axle or something like that, mm -hmm. you want the threads to be thread locked 
Yeah. If anything, but you want any of the mating surfaces to have a little bit of a gr of grease on them or anti seize or something like that. Right. Especially when you're talking like aluminum on steel, mm. where you've got a steel bolt and an aluminum, say like a domed cap, like a for a collet axle, where you've got basically a wedge assembly. Right. You actually want to put an anti seize in there. You can use grease, sure, but water will remove that. Anti seize right. stays forever. Yes. Something, uh, don't put that marine grease or heavy grease onto your free hub poles no. or your star ratchets. If you have a DT no, that system, you will put, you will put like their the specific stuff, stuff or the thin Teflon stuff. Yeah. Yep. Which is basically DT Swiss's stuff is the thin, red stuff for their ratchet red, maintenance kit. Yeah. Yep. Uh, other than that, slick honey, that's the stuff that you would put on like shock shafts. Yeah. That'd be shock shafts thing. inside, like for, you know, all of your, uh, um, your dust wipers and seals inside the fork and things like that. You would also use your marine grease in a headset if you don't have good sealing capabilities. Mm -hmm. You would actually put that on the outside of the bearing to attract dirt and water to it instead of into the bearing itself. Correct. Um, yeah. It also helps eliminate creaking if you have any sort of um, dirt inside the headset itself. Which you should clean out anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Question two. I've also heard mixed opinions about using silicon spray to, to lube fork stanchions. Some people say it's fine while others say it messes with the grease and the foam rings, making them all gunked up prematurely. I'd like to know if you think it's okay to use a silicon or Teflon spray, Teflon spray to clean away the dirt around the seals after a ride, obviously covering the brake discs. Yeah. Never use a disc that, that disc brake rotor lube. Never buy that stuff. Yeah. Never yeah. buy rotor lube. <laughs> never, never good. Make really loud and non-functional <laughs> brakes. Indeed. He says, or if I'm best to just stick with a couple of drops of suspension fluid on the stanchions. Usually what I do on the stanchions, I will clean them when I clean the bike with some sort of a brush, like a toothbrush or something like mm -hmm. that. But then I, I always do something thicker like Fox's 20 weight, um, are not 20 weight, but they're, they're, uh, the, the blue, stuff. not oh, the no. 20 weight gold, but Ooh. the blue, f the float fluid. Okay. Yeah, I will yeah, put that yeah. on the stanchions and use a little zip tie to clean out any dust in, you know, dirt inside yep. and let some of that inside the stanchion. The small tip of a very small zip tie. Yeah, you're exactly. If you're a hipster, we've mentioned this before, you can bust out some 35 millimeter film. Yep. Exactly. Cause we all have that at the handy, yep. you know, it's always there. Yeah. I'm joking about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah I but guess suspension oil is fine if you do it often, but mm -hmm. you also want to keep something a little bit thicker. You want something at least 10 to 15 weight. Mm -hmm. Fox Gold 20 would work fine. Fox's float fluid, I believe, is a 30, 30 or 40 weight. I don't I remember. Don't it's super thick. Um, okay. And the thing is you want staying power. So you get mm -hmm. it in there inside the dust wiper, and then you actually clean any excess off. Gotcha. Yeah. Cat she says, hi, guys. Love the podcast. Really helps with learning your tech lingo. I think you guys should mention or even dedicate more time to the Sturdy Dirty Enduro Series, a women's enduro series which is taking place for the first time this year. It used to be a women's only enduro race at Tiger Mountain in Washington, but the dedicated organizers made it into a series this year. It's a race series to make enduro accessible and non-intimidating for women. The second race in the series just took place in Oak Ridge, Oregon, and was personally my first ever mountain bike race. It was super fun. Aid stations or the super, the aid stations are super fun. It was really well organized. The last race in the series will happen at Big Bear in October. Give those ladies a shout out. Cheers and keep up the good work. Awesome. That's Thanks, really Kat. good to know, Kat. Yeah. 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 We need to like, I like when people, in fact, uh, adding to that, we have another person that sent in more information about events. I mean, I really like this one because like they said, it's, it was something that was really working toward, we talked about this last time, uh, supporting 
women's cycling and, and mountain biking in, in, on, on both sides of the fence. So it was really cool to see. Yep. Um, along those lines, there's another race, uh, that was actually recommended to us that was actually up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And I'm trying to find the actual name for it, but, um, it, right here it's from Brad. He says on last week's episode, you mentioned tough races. So I think it's time you guys come check out the Margie Gessick in Michigan's upper peninsula. 100 miles of 85 to 90% single track with 12,000 feet of climbing or 50 miles with 6K. Hey, Keegan, get your bike ready, bud. Yeah, come on, Keegan. Uh, more than 50% of the people that start DNF. I have friends that raced out west and east, and they are calling it the toughest race in the country. Come ride the Margie with us. Uh, you can win $1. Well, in that That's case. That's a good gentleman's bet right there. Keegan's saddling up his bike right One now. One whole dollar. He's dialing in the boas on his garnets. Hopefully that's an American dollar and not a Canadian <laughs> dollar right now. Well, you know, we're talking about the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, so we're still we're, we're still in the close. good old U.S. of A. Okay, I just want to make sure that it's U.S. money. Lake Superior is big and cold. Because if I want a dollar, I want a dollar, not 60 cents. <laughs> good point. <Yeah. laughs> so uh, anyways, yeah, really, that race sounds awesome. I've been to the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Uh, so my dad, uh, isn't a youper, but he went to college and that's what they call people that live in the upper peninsula. Uh, but my dad went to college at Michigan tech, uh, up there. So okay. in the upper peninsula and I went up there, it was just amazingly gorgeous, hmm. such a cool place. So yeah, I would love to, I would love to go there at some point, but, uh, Tom's question. He says, hello, Stephen and Jonathan, finally a podcast about mountain biking. That's worth listening to five stars as a fellow engineer. I especially appreciate your depth of explanations of topics like suspension design shocks and tires. I have two questions that I could, that could use the full nerd treatment. Number one, what supplies do you bring with you on a typical ride tools, spare parts, duct tape, spare derailleur hanger, etc. Do you vary this kit based on ride type? So my kit has developed over the years uh, based on what I've broken on rides. Okay, smart. <laughs> Learning. So derailleur hanger, always have one of those, yes. just in case. Mm -hmm. um, SRAM, their anchor bolt and the B-limit screw assembly mm. on the XX1 and X01 11-speed stuff, always, for some reason, I broke three or four of those over the time. Never been to derailleur, but broke those assemblies. The bird has an issue with this too. They oh, the bird a, does. As a weird, like strange proprietary clip system. Yeah. So I always carry one of those kits with me. Mm -hmm. It's super light and super simple. It doesn't take up any space at all. Yeah. Um, and then I carry a multi-tool. I have CO2s. I have tire spoons. I have some nutrition sometimes. Carry spoons? Tire spoons. Tire spoons? Yeah. Like, Our levers. Okay, there we whatever. go. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever they're called. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> and, then, and then that's about it. Okay. Yeah. Really, Stephen was going to go on for a whole a lot longer list, but I was a jerk. I'm sorry. Um, I carry, in an XC race... Nothing. I carry a tire plug, like a, 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 what is it, a side of bacon, if you will. Okay. A little bacon piece and a tiny little from Genuine Innovations, a little like... It looks like a gigantic thumbtack. Mm-hmm. That's what I carry. Uh, I carry a CO2 and I carry a nozzle. You can get, by the way, a pro tip on that because a big problem is a lot of people will like have the nozzle and it'll fall off the CO2 and rattle around. All you have to do is go to the store and find like some small tubing and then cut off a little bit so that it sits kind of like a standoff over to the top of the threaded part of the CO2. And then that will stop. That'll allow you to tighten it down, but it won't puncture the top of the CO2. Oh, so good. specialized always provides that with their SWAT kits, nice. which is pretty cool of them. So I'll carry that. And then I have a multi-tool and a chain breaker, uh, built in with SWAT storage on my bike. 
so that's what, that's all I carry with me in an XC race. Uh, and then I'll carry like food, uh, with me, but that's, uh, we've talked about that on different episodes, but, um, when we get into like a backcountry ride more, I carry a tube. Yeah. I carry a patch kit even yeah. because you never know how bad things are going to get. Yep. I carry a tiny little bit of sealant that I have, like one of the little tiny stands guys. It's little one and a half ounce bottles, the little guys. Yeah. Yep. I carry that guy. I carry a rag. I carry <laughs> zip ties. I carry a chain link uh, or a quick and link. I, I always carry a quick link too. Yep. Yeah. I carry that multi-tool. I still have that. And the stuff that I would carry for an XC race, I still carry that as well. And a derailleur hanger. Yep. That's what I carry with me. Uh, oh, also I wrap my tube in duct tape and I know people have talked about the fact <clears> that, like, that's a problem if you get it dirty because then it gets rocks or dirt on there. When you put it in your tire, just don't drop it in the dirt. That's the tip. Yeah. But that keeps the tube a little bit more, um, you know, it keeps it in a good spot. I can fit all of that, all of that into a fabric tool keg mm-hmm. that goes on to the underside, uh, the, the um, bottle, the bosses on the underside of my yeah. down tube. It's pretty cool stuff. Yep. So that's what I do. That's what I carry with nice. me. Uh, his next one, he says, how do you go about setting up a home shop for servicing and maintaining mountain bikes? I'm mechanically inclined and have a rocky relationship with my local shop. So most of my work is DIY. Any tools, fixtures, or bench features you can't live without? Thank you and keep up the great work. Honestly, I love my feedback sports stand. I've been using it more and more lately. I love that thing. The feedback sports makes such good stuff. Yeah, I have the the elite, the the top of the line one, whatever it is. I don't know. It's awesome. I love that thing. Super simple to fold up and put away, but super stable for even the heaviest of downhill bikes. Pegboard, I feel like is much better than having to dig through a box. Yeah. Uh, if you can, light, also very important. Light is super important. Yeah. Uh, I, I have in my mind, like the area, I need to build all of this out in our garage. Yeah. And I want to build out a spot that has light uh, that's overhead that I can turn off and on. Uh, it will also have spots for charging USB ports mm-hmm. or for USB ports. Then I can have my JBL flip four, a tiny little Bluetooth speaker out there. Yeah. Because music is an absolute necessity. Of course. Or podcasts yeah. like this one. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. You know. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. And then uh, I also would want to have with that pegboard, like I said, to hold everything up on the wall. And other than that, though, uh, the a couple things that I would definitely want to have in terms of tools, you can get by with uh, a, a set of Allen keys. Mm-hmm. And then you can get by with a set of like, you know, Torx wrenches. And then in some cases you will need like sockets, but it'd be very rare that you would need them. But you can have some sockets on hand too. Uh, then after that screwdriver, you can basically take a bike completely apart with that. Yeah. Uh, the only other things that you'd want to have is a rubber mallet and then anything that you would want to press, uh, bearings into other than that, and then like a lock ring removal tool or something like that, or a pedal wrench, but that's totally. basically it. Like you don't need to go. It's not like when you're a car mechanic and you need countless tools and different things like that. Um, outside of that, the only other things that you'll probably store are like the spare parts that you'll have or servicing parts. So like I'm talking like syringes and brake fluid, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I like small small storage tins, like shallow ones, mm-hmm. like storage bins, the plastic ones that works really well. Cause then you can kind of lay everything out and it's easy to get to. Yes. Whereas deep you're stacking stuff on top of each other. Yep. Hit up Amazon for that. They're yep. for the little storage bins. Yep. And then Pedro's makes awesome, uh, cheap, uh, cheap tools in some cases that work really well. Yeah. And then you can get a park tool obviously makes really good tools yeah. too. So, 
Drew, he says, Hey guys, can you help me with my pedal schizophrenia? I go back and forth between flats and clipless and can't seem to settle. I've done all day epics on flats and raced double black diamond enduro stages on clips. So I'm competent on both. I like the casual feel and freedom of flats and my five tens are great for a hike a bike. And I like them for messing around with wheelies and dirt jumps and for the neighborhood spin within my kids but I'm most likely faster and more precise on clips and my feet stay put on rocky trails. Can you offer any insight? Should I keep switching or should I just stick with one? What do you say, Steven? I think you should just do whatever he feels comfortable with. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And switch back and forth. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you, if you love your five tens for flats for hike a biking, then get the new Mavic D max pro. Yeah. They're get awesome. Get that shoe and you can hike a bike all day in those things. I just got them and holy cow, are they comfortable? The cross yeah. maxes are amazing as well. But I love the D-Max now, and Kurt Gensheimer, you know, put me onto this because there's no more, like, ratchet assembly. It's literally just lace up and a Velcro strap. Friend of the podcast, uh, Nate Hills, loves mm-hmm. his 2FOs uh, yeah. for the comfort. Similar concept, yeah. Yep. Same thing. Specialized 2FOs, for those who don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. I see zero problem with it. I only see benefits of going back and forth. Yeah. If you can do both and you like both, you're going to get benefits from both. Exactly. So I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Next one is from the Norwegian Viking Shredder Trules. I think that's his name. I apologize if I'm saying it wrong. He says, hey, thank you for making such an interesting podcast. Many of my answers in the MTB jungle have been answered. <laughs> my name, that's a, it's, a, it's a vast jungle. He says, my name is Trules. I'm 29 years old from Norway and have been riding trails for the last 10 years almost. I ride a Santa Cruz 5010, and that's my only bike I use for trail, enduro, fire road. It's such a capable bike. But on those long days on the bike, I start feeling pain in my neck and shoulders, mostly my neck. I've Googled it and tried all the tips I've come across, removing my visor, trying not to tense my shoulders while riding, changing to a lighter helmet, borrowing friends' bikes with different sizes, etc. But the pain is starting to come anyway, every time, about the three hour, about three hours into a ride. I know this is a common problem and I want to sort it out. I'm five feet, I'm five foot nine, 180 centimeters, and I ride a size large Santa Cruz 5010. The way I'm dealing with the problem now is when it's safe, I look down while costing for while coasting for a few seconds to stretch my neck and repeat that, but it isn't helping a whole lot. It feels like it would be even better for me to have a more upright position on the bike, uh, from tools. Have you dealt with this, Steven? To an extent, sometimes on longer rides, yeah, I'll get to that point. But usually what I'll do is I'll just do the cat stretches and things Mm -hmm. like that and just look around, make sure that I roll my shoulders back. I'm not tensed up. Mm -hmm. All things that he's already said that he's done. Mm -hmm. And that's just how I deal with it. But it's never gotten to the point where it's really that bad for me. Yeah. And I have talked to plenty of people where this gets really bad. I've also experienced on experienced it on certain rides that are really bad. Okay. Usually like long road rides. I've done, I don't know if you know this, Stephen, but I've, I've Everested before. <gasps> yeah, yeah. You've done an Eversting ride. I should tell you about it. Yeah. We <laughs> definitely should do an episode <laughs> yeah. on that. Uh, but it was 26 hours. Yeah. Uh, things started to hurt. It's yeah. fair to say when you're riding that long. True. So yeah, basically the the problem tools in the end, it may not be a fact that you have a bad position on the bike. It may be fine. It also may be wrong. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out there. But regardless, your body is not conditioned to be able to take that. You can change that by doing strength, extra strength training, and then also working your way up to it and making sure that you aren't overworking your body, but working your way up to the point where you are just building up that strength. Chances are, if you're really carrying a lot of tension in your shoulders and in your neck, that you may actually lack uh, what we would call core strength. 
And what that may be causing is you to put excess tension and weight through there, not supporting through the rest of your back. Yeah. And then as a result, it, it can pass more tension that way. Core exercises. There's a book, uh, Tom Danielson's core advantage. You can look up that book has a bunch of exercises specific for cyclists that could really help. It's for roadies, but it also helps for mountain bikers. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend doing something like that. That probably sounds like where you're at. If you have a really big saddle to bar drop, like excessively deep, but it sounds like you probably don't usually like tall people. I mean, like, you know, really tall people. Yeah. Come across like something like this. Yeah. Like six, six. Yeah. But in this case, since you're five, nine, probably he's only not. six, six. I thought he was like six foot 13. He looks like it, but yeah. no, only six, six. He's a tall dude. He is a tall dude. I was setting up a saddle height. And when it was, when his 200 mil dropper was down all the way on yeah. his Epic, yeah. I could barely straddle the bike. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, I would say that it comes down to core strength and conditioning and, uh, what Steven shared with cat stretches and, and what you're doing with taking some time to stretch every once in a while. It's a great way to do it. And looking down, Manage that's not it, a bad way say. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You won't be avoiding it that way, but you'll be managing it. Yep. So, uh, last question from Rob. He says, Hey, I just got done listening to an older episode and Jonathan said that commuting on his bike was a waste of time. I'm just curious if you guys could expand on that. I understand it's not extremely structured training and probably not ideal for someone who races. However, for someone who doesn't race and just wants to keep up with their buddies on the trail on the weekends, is it really that bad? Surely there are some fitness benefits to bike commuting. Just curious because I currently commute via bike about 20 miles round trip daily. Thanks for taking the time and keep up the good work in Yeti. We trust Rob. <laughs> awesome. So Rob member of the tribe. Yeah. Yes. Um, all your points about this were exactly the points that Jonathan stated in that podcast. This is true. Like we're not trying to be rude, but he didn't say it was terrible. He said it was terrible for structured training. It yeah. is not a structured training exercise because you can't control your intervals because you can't control everything about the ride. It is not a structured interval workout. Yeah. We didn't say it was terrible. Commuting's right. a necessity. And you know what? Always riding, getting your heart rate elevated, conditioning your body for that sort of, you know, um, intense, you know, abuse or, you know, however you want to word it. That's all good for people who ride no matter what, mm -hmm. but it's not part of a structured inter uh, interval workout. Yeah. So if you're the type of person that's pressed for time, most people, yes. uh, if you're the type of person that wants to get faster on a bike and you're pressed for time, then your best bet is to go with some, to structure your time. So you can be more efficient with yes. it. If you are following a plan, a training plan that is adequate, uh, or, or I shouldn't say adequate. That sounds bad. If you're following a plan that is properly set up for you, yes, it should be working you to your capacity. When I'm talking about that, what I'm saying is it should be give dosing your body with enough training stress so that it can just be offset by the amount that you can recover. So basically it's, it's almost like uh, you're, you're right. You're marking something up and then erasing it. When you're dosing your body with training stress, you're scribbling all over that whiteboard with a marker. And then when you need to erase it, that's your recovery. You're, but you're basically, uh, this is a kind of a bad analogy because you absorb that training stress that you take. But if you don't have enough energy or the ability to be able to erase all of it, it just keeps adding up and it ends up being detrimental. Yeah. Then you have deficit. Exactly. <clears throat> so you're put into a hole and you can't get out of it. So I see a lot of people questioning, you know, I, I'm following a plan. I'm sticking to my goals, everything else. And I'm commuting. Uh, how do I factor in my commuting into this? And the thing that scares me about that is I think, okay, so you're commuting. You may be. I'm not saying this is it for everyone because if you're dealing with a lot of stop and go traffic, it's different, yeah. but chances are you're spending extra time, uh, commuting, uh, compared to what you'd be doing in a car. Maybe you can push that time into training and get in more time doing structure, 
right? Yeah. So that's one way to look at it. Like uh, basically of the time in the day that I have, how much should I dedicate to training for the amount that I can recover, yes. right? So that's one aspect uh, that you want to consider. On the other side of things, you should also look at it as, okay, if I'm going to spend time on my bike and if I'm limited on my time, I need to make that structured. I can't guarantee the structure of my commute because of traffic, because of everything else, whatever it may be. Yeah. And really the priority on that is just getting to work. Exactly. It's not the structure. Right. So if you're in a situation where you are, you know, really doing a lot of structured work and then you're getting too much fatigue because you're commuting in really fast, or it's giving you saddle sores because you're just spending too much time in a chamois or whatever else it might be, you know, it could be detrimental. So that's what we're saying there. So if you're looking at training, yes, commuting is not the most efficient way to spend that time. No. However, if you don't care about that and you're just, you just want to ride the, you ride your bike a lot, then yeah, there's going to be aerobic benefits to it. Absolutely. But you should not try, you should not expect specific benefits. That's the thing. Never expect, you know, they always say like, you know, you ask a dumb question, get a dumb answer. You should never expect specific benefits from in specific input, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's the thing that you just have to be okay with. But yes, certainly it will raise the tide ever so slightly of your aerobic fitness. However, don't expect that to be any type of a increase that continues. You have to vary your training and it constantly has to be changing with you and improving in order for you to actually continue improving. Yep. So you'll basically plateau. Uh, so Rob, no, commuting is awesome. Uh, dig it. It's good. Uh, but when we're talking about optimizing things, it's not the most optimal. That's can, all. I, can I admit to something? Yeah. I may have put 30C road-ish tires on the cross bike. Nice. To commute. Yeah. Because you, you moved into town, closer into town. Yeah. So you can you can do that now. I've only got uh, an eight-mile commute instead of a 17-mile commute. It's a lot easier. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah. All right, Stephen, with that, let's close things out with our tips. Tips time. You don't care they'd count on your tips to live? <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to start off with one that I just felt today. I'm, I'm getting better from my concussion and I'm able to ride again. And, uh, with the concussion, I spent a lot of time really rehashing in my mind, the things that I went over in a skills clinic with a uh, Lee likes bikes or Lee McCormick, mm -hmm. incredible coach for coaching technique. I wouldn't know. Yeah. He's really good. Yeah. Really good. And mm. that guy, we worked together quite a lot, uh, for two days and the principles that he went over with me, and I, I, I what I, I would consider to be a proficient descender, would you say that's fair yeah. beforehand? Uh -huh. Like I'm, I'm usually, uh, I'm usually one of the best, if not the best, cross country descenders in a in a race. Okay, and uh, so that's take that with a grain of salt, all you enduro bros and downhill bros. Yeah, but uh, take that with that grain. That said, with Lee's instruction and then constant, like really in my mind going all, all over all of this stuff, this morning I finally like cut loose after the concussion and felt okay mm -hmm. doing that. I am cutting like 10% off of my downhill times with just really focusing on those principles that he did and yeah. being in the right position, the proper movements. It's awesome. Good. So check out his stuff. Lee likes bikes. I think he has the best selling mountain bike skills book in the world. It's uh, in written in conjunction with Brian Lopes uh, on there. But anyways, check his stuff out. It's awesome. Good. Yours, Steven. Mine is a, I guess, would we call this a not tip? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's an anti one. We, it's an anti tip. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Um, I cannot stand Maxis's standard 
ardent tire right in our terrain not talking about the ardent race the ardent race is an amazing tire right the ardent is a <laughs> <Yeah>. terrifying disaster <laughs> waiting to happen as it a front is. tire it is rear tire you can get away with it and it's not bad yeah and in fact it's kind of drifty so that's kind of fun but yeah, front, well, as a rear it's fun as a rear yeah <laughs> you don't want your front to be drifty yeah no i just it the scalpel this morning it has the uh, the 225 ardent EXO casing, dual compounds, front and rear. That's how yeah. this guy came. And I just get into anything on the descent as soon as you start getting speed. And it seemed like the front end didn't want to plant. There wasn't um, there wasn't any positive traction anywhere yeah. at any of the speed limits. Like when you're going slow, sure, great. It climbed up over rocks. It did, you know, everything at like mediocre average stuff it was fine right but when you really push that tire i ended up off the trail three times which is not like you no You're a very good rider no like i even punched a tree with my right ring finger and wrist like yeah. it, that's not normal for me no and i just don't like that tire as a front tire it's terrible yeah it's it's a, it's not a bad rear tire no but front tire ooh, it's scary yeah i did not have fun yeah on that tire yeah so that's my anti-tip all right with yeah. that, Stephen, uh, I, I guess we should direct everybody to find us on social things. We have socials. Yeah. The the Instagrams yep. um, at MTB Podcast. Yes. Um, Twitter, we're the MTB Podcast. Indeed. Uh, Facebook, we're MTB Podcast. Yes. And yeah, that's pretty much it. You can find us. We're on not on Tinder yet, are we? <laughs> no, we're not. No. no. Okay, good. Okay. Bumble, neither. Yeah, yeah. Not, neither. not okay. Grindr, none of that so. stuff. Yeah, none of that, no. no. Um, but, uh, you can find us on, uh, iTunes or any other app. Yes. Share the podcast, check out the store, get yourself a top cap. A bunch of people. The top caps are cool. Stuff. They're pretty rad, By the way, man. They're awesome. They're awesome. So get yourself a top cap, get yourself some shirts and, uh, yeah. Hope you enjoy this. Send in your questions at mtbpodcast.com. We'll talk to you next week. Have a nice weekend. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.